podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Some say no one really lives his own life, true face covered by a mask, stuck tight and fashioned by a series of random voices, interactions, childhood dreams of flying, long lost, adult desires for comfort superficially gained, mismatched pieces welded sequentially over time, firmly to the fragile baby skin of who we really are. Some say all paths lead to these false lives discarded, rain-soaked clothes hanging against a damp, shadowed stone wall. Standing here midlife, children grown and mostly gone, I let the cold winter air in. The Precious Life Poem by Matt Mumber Valeria interviews Dr. Mumber, the author of In the Awakening Season, Dr. Matthew Mumber practices medicine as a board-certified radiation oncologist with Harbin Clinic in Rome. After entering private practice, Matt attended and graduated from Dr. Andrew Wheel's Fellowship in Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona, where he met Rachel Riemann and attended trainings on facilitation of physician-patient retreat groups through Commonweal. Subsequently, Matt attended and graduated from a two-year program on spirituality at the Living School for Action and Contemplation through the Rohr Institute, where he studied with Jim Finley. An author of academic and lay press texts on the subject of healing, Matt has edited an academic textbook entitled Integrative Oncology, Principles and Practice, and also co-wrote a lay press health and wellness book Sustainable Wellness with Heather Reed. He has served as the president of the Georgia Society of Clinical Oncology. Matt's poetry, which draws on his personal, professional, cultural, and natural world experiences, stems from his Lectio Divina meditation and spiritual practice. Matt has facilitated groups and retreats focused on transformation and healing for over 20 years. To learn more about Dr. Matt, please visit his website, drmattmumber.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Matt Mumber. In your own words, who is Dr. Matt Mumber? That's a great question, Valeria. And I have to answer it both kind of superficially and more at depth. Uh, from a superficial standpoint, I'm a radiation oncologist. I work here at the Harbin Clinic in Rome, Georgia, and, and I'm a father of three boys. I've been married for about 30 years, going close to 30 years now. 
I also have been a seeker, spiritual seeker. I was born and raised Catholic. And after completing my medical degree, I had an interest in integrative medicine. And so I did a two-year fellowship with Dr. Andrew Wiles Fellowship Program in Arizona. And that was in 2000. After that, I started a nonprofit group here locally called Cancer Navigators, and that led me to facilitate group and residential retreats focused on healing for cancer patients and physicians. And then recently in 2012, I did a two-year fellowship with the Roar Institute, their Center for Action and Contemplation, something called the Living School for Action and Contemplation. And so that was another part of my experience that kind of led me more to seeking that answer at depth, which is the, the question you asked, who is Dr. Matt Mumber? And, uh, and that's really a question that I try to answer pretty much every day. I try to sit and wonder uh, who I am and at depth and what I need and what I don't need and that type of thing. So that's a, that's a loaded question, but that's, uh, that's my answer. I love your answer, though. Who am I? That's a great question, isn't it? Yeah. So before we talk about your book in the Awakening Season, Poems by Matthew Mumber, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned off record. The first one had to be this one for you. What is life, Matt? Life is a gift, really. Life is a gift that uh, we're all given and that we have this unique set of circumstances and set of abilities and we get to experience it. And so for me, that's what life is. What do you think is the opposite of life? I mean, I think the opposite of life would be a lack of awareness, I would have to say. Because when we're involved in life, when something's alive, uh, there's a certain vitality to it. And the opposite of that is that lack of vitality. And for me, the lack of vitality really exists in a situation in which there's no awareness of vitality present. So it's kind of this mindless, robotic lack of presence. I guess you might say the vehicle that we're communicating through is this wonderful technology that every time I turn it on, I'm just so amazed that it actually works. But it really doesn't have any awareness of a vitality that it participates in, and nor does it have the ability to kind of stand on its own in that vitality. And so that, to me, is kind of a nice metaphor there as well. Yeah, um, it made me think about death, but in a way of, as a human being, being dead before we actually physically die. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of the, you know, that's, I guess most people would go immediately to the opposite of life being death. But I, I just, the way I look at death is a part of the cycle of life. And therefore, I really don't see death as being the opposite of life. I see death as being something that is on the continuum of life. It's part of life, but not the end. Wow. I love your answers already. <laughs> And I have another question here about life. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Well, I think the purpose of our experience is to fully inhabit it. 
uh, and to find a way to really connect to it. Because when it comes right down to it, there has never been another Valeria Koopman in the history of the universe. And there never will be another Valeria Koopman. And so the purpose of your existence is to fully inhabit that existence. And there's never been another Matt Mumber. There'll never be another fill in the blank. And that uniqueness, that kind of infinite gift that's given to each of us, the more we can experience that, the more we fulfill the purpose that we're given in having been gifted this life. Yeah, it really makes sense to me and makes me wonder about um, how do we know when we are exploring or living that purpose? I think the way that I know that I'm living that purpose is that everything seems to flow in a certain way um, and that there don't seem to be any mistakes. Everything seems to have a reason and fit in in some way. And that's when I know that things are moving along in a way that learning from what's happening. Now, what is happening may be very sad or very happy or very joyful, but it's actually happening and I'm actually experiencing it. And so that's the way I know that things are going in the way that I think um, is, is fulfilling its purpose. Yeah. And that goes back to awareness from what I see. So the more aware we are, the more we see this movement of life, this dance. Yes. So my next question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Being free. Being free, I think in my mind, means being able to consciously choose how to approach any situation, being able to consciously be there and exercise our free will, our, our ability to freely decide and respond. And I think a lack of freedom is kind of insidious because a lack of freedom, actions that are taken in a lack of freedom may be very reactive, very unconscious, and yet look entirely free. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the freedom is really kind of up to the point of view of the actor of the whatever's going on. Yeah. Somehow I connect um, freedom to inner peace. Have you made that connection before? I mean, I think inner peace uh, for me is kind of a, a state in which I feel like everything is calm and at one. And freedom for me sometimes leads to states of uh, anxiety. And I think it's still freedom, though. And it still has the chance to be something that's happening in congruity with who we really are. I love that. Yeah. So freedom, the way you speak, embraces everything. Is the space itself in a way? Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a field. Field. Right. So at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? I think the world right now needs understanding more than anything else. The practice of trying to understand what 
another is feeling, what another is saying, uh, what the earth itself is experiencing, what it is going through as a result of our actions or inactions. And so the practice of trying to deeply understand what's going on. So understanding, I love that word. And to me, understanding leads to something we call love, from my perspective, of course. Let me ask you the question about love. What is love to you? Love and I think love and understanding are very closely connected in order to love something. Certainly, we need to understand it. And I think love can have so many different ways of looking at the type of love that you're talking about. There can be a love between a husband and a wife, a love between friends, a love of uh, certain activities, of foods, that type of thing. And then kind of that depth, the more uh, spiritual love that uh, created everything, kind of the great mystery that ultimately created everything. In my mind, that's a, that's a type of love. And so I, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about the word love um, just because it's thrown around a lot. Um, and so anything that gets thrown around a lot, I tend to think about it a good bit to try to really hone in on what its meaning is uh, to me and, and what its meaning is at depth. And so when I think about the depth of love, um, the thing that comes to mind is that love is a limitless participation. So everything is included forever. It's limitless. And that limitless participation, I think that love is also kind of what I think of as, as God. Uh, that limitless participation that creates everything, that is inside of everything, um, and that excludes nothing. That's beautifully said. Yes, a thousand times, Matt. I had a question about God, but you answered that question already. <laughs> So let's talk about your work. How did you become a writer? Writing for me was not something that came easily. When I was in grade school, I did not like to read. I think I may have had a little bit of dyslexia, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't really enjoy reading. But then I finally started connecting. And most of the stuff I read, because it was in Catholic school, was religiously oriented or what I would think of as spiritually oriented now. Uh, but as a child, thought of it mainly as just religious. And so over time, I started to write more as a way of expressing all these deep feelings and thoughts that I was having and as a way to communicate those types of processes that were going on inside of me with another. And so I, I took a poetry writing class in college um, and enjoyed it. And it really, I kept writing on and off over time and just found myself being consistently drawn back to it. And so the foundation of my writing in medical school and residency uh, and even after was in the academic type of writing, the scientific type of writing. I did a textbook uh, on integrative oncology uh, related to that. And then I got more into trying to write for more of a lay press audience and wrote the book uh, with um, a person I facilitate groups with, wrote the book called uh, Sustainable Wellness uh, back in 2012 for more of a lay press audience. And so then the poetry, I think, really came out 
as I love the way that poetry uses words to say things in such a way that it's almost like a service of saying things that are unsayable. Um, so, and it's almost like the space between the words, what the words don't say is where the message lies. And so I've gotten into poetry writing because it just says things in ways that you really can't say in any other way. So that's, that's kind of how I get into that. And, and uh, it really also became a part of my uh, spiritual or meditation practice was to develop a way to be creative um, and to express what I was learning through a focus on a process called Lexio Divina, which is basically spiritual reading. And so I was taught uh, during the living school by a gentleman named Jim Finley. Uh, he wrote a book called Christian Meditation in which he explores the practice of Lexio Divina. And um, we can go over that if you'd like, but basically it just allowed me a way of having my meditation practice be kind of grow into a creative practice, which for me is part of my personality. I really need to embrace being creative. It's a great way for me to know that I'm healthy and balanced is when I'm being creative. When I shut down and I'm not creative, that's one of the ways that I know goes back to that earlier question that I'm not really going with the flow of life. In a way, creativity uh, has a lot to do with that aliveness that we talked about. For me, especially, yeah, with, with my, the type of personality I have and the way I live in the world, you know, my most dominant strengths and weaknesses, uh, creativity really helps me with that. Yeah, how wonderful. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Yeah, I think religion is basically, a, in its ideal intent, is a way to get at spirituality, a way to give it a foundation and to develop community and awareness and communion and dive deep into spirituality in a safe way. And to the extent that that is helpful, it's a good thing. Uh, to the extent, though, that it becomes more focused on fears and uh, leads us to a lower expression of that vitality that we were talking about, that it's not as helpful. And so it's interesting because a good number of people will identify themselves as being spiritual, but not religious. And I think that's more and more of people nowadays, because what they see is that in some of the religions, there's a good bit of hypocrisy between what they say and what they actually do. And so for me, that's, that's also an important distinction. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Religion is a method, a pathway to spirituality. But then some people, they become attached to the method. And that's when it becomes a problem. I think that's a good way of looking at it. The, there's always, I think of this metaphor of, um, or the story of a monk, a famous monk who's sitting near a pond and uh, he's um, meditating and a student comes up and says, gosh, I really... I really want to be like you. I want to be enlightened. I want to learn what it is to, to have a connection with the oneness that created the universe. And the monk doesn't say anything. All he does is points at the moon. And uh, so 
you know, the student starts thinking, well, gosh, what is it? Is it the, you know, is it the finger pointing to the moon? Is it the moon itself? What, what is it that actually brings about this enlightenment? And so I think that's somewhat similar to religion. Religion is a finger pointing to the moon. It's not the experience of, of looking at the moon, you know, so you can get connected to the, to the process and overly attached to it. So I think that's, I, I like the way you put it. Yeah. What is enlightenment to you, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Since you mentioned that word. <laughs> <laughs> enlightenment is just nothing more or less than awareness. And it's a very heightened awareness. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, one of my main teachers is a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. And I was at one of his retreats. And somebody, he, they have a time where everybody can ask a question. And they put the question in a bowl. And then it goes to Thai, which is what his students call him. Thai stands for teacher in Vietnamese. And he said, here's the question. You know, I want to be enlightened. How do I be enlightened? And he said, gosh, I get so tired of this question. He said, all right, here you go. You want to be enlightened? Breathe in, breathe out. There, you're enlightened. <laughs> enlightened already. <laughs> so, so that's one of those figures pointing to the moon, you know. You get too hung up on enlightenment to the extent that you forget to live your life. <laughs> yes, to experience it, right. Yeah. So um, before I ask you more specific questions about your book and some poems, let me ask you two questions. Why did you choose to become a doctor? Well, there's kind of the funny story again, the superficial funny story and the more in-depth story. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, my, I remember when I was growing up being Catholic, uh, we had uh, these these tests they would give you, right, to uh, tell what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. <laughs> right, that's funny stuff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so my test said I could, I, should, I could either be a priest or a doctor. And I was 13 years old when I took that test as a young male teenager. I thought there is no way I could be a Catholic priest and have a, a vow of celibacy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so I had to be a doctor. So and I just, that's kind of the funny story about it. But, uh, I, you know, there was always just something about the field of medicine that called to me ever since I was very young. And like I would go to my pediatrician. I remember he was this little four foot three gentleman. His name was Dr. Procopio. And he was just the nicest guy. And uh, some of the things he did just just struck so true with me. Like my mom was, you know, kind of an anxious mother. Sometimes I was the first, you know, and I remember one time um, she called him and said, hey, my son just ate a dime. What am I supposed to do? And he said, well, as long as it doesn't come back two nickels, then everything will be okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So, again, there's so many facets to being a doctor. You can be a, you can be a coach. You can be a priest. You can be a you know, mechanic. You can be a counselor, a guide, a friend, a family member. There's just so many parts to it. And I really like being with people in situations in which they're exploring life at a at a place where they're they're tender where they're fragile because then i feel like i can meet them at that same place in my fragility and and i feel like that's always been a little bit of a a strength and a weakness for me is that i i enjoy meeting people at the tender and fragile and vulnerable places and i feel 
comfortable being with people in a tender and fragile and, and vulnerable way. So medicine kind of fit that need. And that might be because this is when we are the most, let's say, true or real when we are vulnerable. And um, let me ask you this question also. To this day, what is the most profound lesson that you have learned from being a doctor? The most profound lesson, I would say, came to me when I was in my training. And there's been lots of profound lessons, but one of them that just kind of sticks with me and resonates with me. I, I was a medical student and we had a group of medical students that got together to experience uh, different forms of medicine outside of traditional Western medicine. And so alternative, back then it was just called alternative medicine. And so we got together at one of our meetings with a Native American medicine man. And so he invited us to a, a sweat lodge that was like a healing sweat lodge. And so I went to the sweat lodge and none of my other group members showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I was there with him and a bunch of other people I didn't know, but we went in the sweat lodge. During this ceremony, you're allowed to ask one question of the of the lodge leader. And of course, you're in the in the middle of it. You're, you know, sweating horribly. There's these glowing hot rocks in the middle of this complete darkness, you know. And um, and I asked him, uh, I told him, I said, I want to become a great healer. How do I do that? And immediately the answer, he shot it right back, you know, with authority and said, uh, in order to have the power to heal, you have to accept responsibility for the power to kill. And that just kind of resonated with me. And, you know, it's like one of these things, what people say, it just strikes you and you can't remember anything else for a while. And it's just so many layers to that. There's, of course, the very superficial layer, which is unless you know what you're doing, unless you're competent, you can really hurt somebody. And that's kind of the obvious, you know, superficial layer. But then the more deep layer is that, you know, just like everything in this world, you know, healing and killing are two sides of the same coin. They're, uh, they're non-dual, I guess. I know some of your writing has been on the, from the non-dual perspective. And non-duality is, is real. It's difficult to hold because it doesn't make any sense. It's a paradox. But um, but you can't have healing without killing. And so uh, you can't have beauty without ugliness, you know? Um, and so uh, it really is uh, a very, that was a very deep lesson that um, has stuck with me as a part of my training and really as a part of what I do every day, being able to be there and know that sometimes healing is very, very difficult work. Yeah, because life and death, they walk together. Dying, you have to die to become something else. <laughs> if you, you want to, to enter the unknown, there's a lot of death yeah, that will happen. Lots of it. It takes a lot of courage right, and commitment to follow that path, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about uh, your poem, Destiny. I have a few questions here for you. So Destiny, what is destiny to you, Matt? Destiny actually came up as a part of uh, the way the way I write. Again, I kind of use these. I put myself in the way of these moments that are going to surprise or inspire me or touch or move me. And, and one of my favorite poets is a gentleman named Rainier Marie Rilke. 
Uh, he's a German poet and in the 1800s. And uh, his, probably his most famous uh, set of writings is called Letters to a Young Poet, if people out there wanted to look something up. But he stayed in a monastery for a couple of years and then afterwards wrote a bunch of poems that were related to his experience. And they've been called since then the Book of Hours. And so after reading that Book of Hours, uh, there were several poems that kind of brought this message to me which is basically that our destiny is to embrace whatever comes up in our life as being what needs to come up and as being of equal importance and leaning into each one of those things, whether they're wonderful, joyous experiences or difficult, struggling type of experiences. And so that's where destiny came up. Right. That makes me wonder about this idea of choices. <laughs> if we believe in destiny, then it implies that we are not making choices, really. But we are at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's the, why I love the title, Destiny, because it, and it hints, hints at that. Exactly what you say is that our destiny is to choose to allow ourselves to experience life. Mm. That is our destiny. Mm, wow. Our destiny is our life. Our life is our destiny. And so it's, it's not destiny in the way that people think of it as predetermination, but it's destiny in the way of embracing life as it comes to us. So uh, there's an author recently that said, uh, God comes to us as our life. And I think for me, that's very real. My Everything that happens in my life comes to me uh, for some reason. Like, for example, this thunderstorm it's been <laughs> yeah. beautiful all day it's been really hot and muggy all day yeah. <laughs> so i know it's not the greatest thing to have the thunderstorm going on from an audio perspective but it's here for a reason and thunderstorms are so lovely to watch and, and uh i know it's not the greatest audio thing but i think it's here for a reason and we'll, we'll take it right <laughs> absolutely i love that though actually I love the way you end the poem. I'll ask you to recite, read the poem in a moment. But oh, I love that. Imagine each and every step a great allowing. Take one step, then another without direction. That makes me think about trust in the idea of trust and trust in the unknown. Is that what you had in mind? Uh, that, that's how I experienced it, yes. It sounds very much like it comes across that way. And um, you also speak of forgiveness in this poem. What is to forgive? Um, I'll tell you, there's a, a, another one of these wonderful books I've run across uh, in just in life in general. It's called A Course in Miracles. And uh, there's a nice little lesson in there, a little question. Uh, thunder. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to participate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the question was, uh, or the answer is, you know, forgiveness is selective remembering. And I really like that, selective remembering. Uh, and forgiveness is also the key to happiness. So when we look at the past, we can understand it, we can hold it, we can set appropriate, healthy boundaries. You know, one of my teachers said that. Healing is possible without forgiveness, but it's not possible uh, without anger or without healthy boundaries, especially in 
times that we feel like we've been traumatized. But uh, forgiveness allows one to let go of the past ultimately. And that's something that is, it, it sounds trivial, it sounds kind of like a cliche, but it's something that in the work of healing with you know mercy and awareness, uh, looking at those things that we don't want to look at, that we've dismissed before, uh, forgiveness ultimately allows us to move forward, move forward and be open, be present, selectively remember the past as something that was there to teach us. Very difficult work, very difficult work. But that's ultimately for me, that's what for forgiveness means at depth. Yeah, that resonates. So can you read the poem, Destiny? Destiny, breathe with me. This ordinary day, leaf-lined dirt path, downhill, right next to home. Take one step, then another, without direction. Who knows if we will ever find our way back. Just imagine if each second had a reason. Every created thing played its part. Nothing was ever wasted. Even those missteps that twist our limbs, roots of forgiveness. Imagine each and every step, a great allowing. Yes, yes, a thousand times (laughs) to all of it. Yeah, thank you. The next poem is Resurrection that we'll be talking about. And my first question is, what is your idea of resurrection? Resurrection, this this poem specifically was written during my time at the living school. And we were doing, I was really embracing my meditation practice, expanding it. And the living school was a way of recovering the contemplative Christian tradition and so uh, being re- born and raised Catholic and somewhat being disconnected to the depth of spirituality that was present in what Jesus said, it was great to be able to go back to that. And for example, Jesus said, you have to die in order to be born again. That's another one of those things that gets thrown around quite a bit. Um, but Thomas Merton who is one of Jim Finley's teachers and really brought contemplative practice back to Christianity, kind of identified two parts of ourselves, the false self and the true self. And the false self is that part of us which thinks it can exist without anything, without anyone else, without God even. It just is its own separate, isolated island. And that's where everything that it does resonates from that. And then the true self is that part of us that is vulnerable and fragile and one with the creator that created us as well as with everyone and everything that ever existed. And so so we die to that false self and wake up to that true self. And that's a process. And so for me, that is the process of resurrection, uh, the process of dying to the false self and arising in the new self. Yes. Another thousand yes for that too. (laughs) 
because from what I understand, uh, once we are there, then there's just love. And now we can feel this connection with everything, everyone. We cannot put into words even. I love the line you say, die with me just once while we are still breathing. <laughs> love that line. So yeah, can you recite that, please, Matt? Resurrection here in this moment where our skin is submerged and there are no shrouds, no reputations to unravel. Die with me just once while we are still breathing, only holding the greatest possible good, complete and utter despair without preference. To die, wake, taste this exquisite life. Can we stop everything together? Notice that the flow of breath continues without our willing it so. Wow, I love your poems, I love your work. I mean, it's profound, it's, um, it's beautiful, it's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's really what I want to say, <laughs> it's true. Um, live without preference. This has been said in Zen Buddhism a lot, that is it's a state of mind or being that is knowing now that we are there living that truth when we have no preferences. Is that possible, <laughs> Matt, to have no preferences? <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, the, uh, one of the images that sticks with me from the living school uh, teachers is of the image of uh, the crucified Jesus and how Jesus is on the cross and his arms are spread out. And at that point, his body's hanging down and the cross has a vertical dimension the, and a horizontal dimension. And so the vertical dimension is kind of this depth of existence, of spirituality, of love, of life. And then the horizontal experience is the depth of everything that could happen here on this planet, in Earth, all the things that happen. And so in that, that's kind of the symbol of the cross, the symbol of Jesus holding literally everything, the greatest possible good, complete and utter despair, without preference, without judgment, without saying, hey, I want to keep this, but I want to get rid of that holding it all. It's, it's that limitless participation. Everything is included. Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <But> right. <laughs> it's, it's possible because we've seen it. We've seen somebody do it. And that's what I think he means when he says, follow me to try to do this. It's not easy. It's not easy. And But I think that's, a, that's the depth of practice that I try to hold in mind when I sit. I try to hold in mind that the greatest possible good, complete and utter despair, are just different sides of the same coin. And becoming attached or attached to one or and pushing away another just links me to them. You know, that clinging to and resisting peace. And so, and that's really the practice of meditation for me is I sit and I pay attention and I when I notice myself clinging and resisting. I bring myself back to the moment and I pay attention as I continuously cling and resist everything. <laughs> so if you talk about an exercise in approaching your fragility and your vulnerability and your failure, you know, that's it. 
that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it is a practice, it's not an understanding for life. It's not a moment yeah. of enlightenment, as so many say. Yeah. Talk to me about the uh, inspiration to write the poem, Student of a Groundless Fall. So uh, this, again, was something that came out of the living school and uh, specifically was related to a story that uh, Jim Finley told. Jim was a Trappist monk, again, who studied with Thomas Merton. And he told a story about uh, jumping out of an airplane as a metaphor for the practice of meditation. And so he said that when people had jumped out of an airplane thousands of times, the only thing they really feared was not so much taking off or sitting on the edge of the plane or looking down or jumping out or having the parachute open. But the only part they feared was the actual moment when they hit the ground because there were so many variables to it that it was hard to control. Uh, a little wind here, a little shift in something on the ground there, you're dropped off at 10,000 feet in a specific spot, you know, but it all comes down to that point of hitting the ground. And so what would it be like to have an experience in which you didn't have to worry about hitting the ground? Uh, what if what what would life be like if you didn't worry about that which scared you the most? And what if, you know, meditation really if if meditation is a practice to allow us to more deeply live our life? What if we could practice in meditation how to live life in that way? And so that's where that student of a groundless fall came in. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that idea of reflecting on death. I guess most of us are afraid to lose the body. So that's uh, another practice, one of those practices. So have you experienced that jumping out of a plane? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's my first question. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. But I'll tell you what I did which was something I would not highly recommend, but it also led to one of those moments in life. My wife and I were hiking during my internship, and I had just got off of a cardiology night of not sleeping, and so we wanted to go out and be with each other and be out in nature, and it was a beautiful day. We went hiking up a waterfall, and as we were halfway up, I literally, she went one way, I went another, and like in an instant, I was free-falling off the side of a cliff. I didn't see any warning to it whatsoever. And, and so I was literally right in the midair with no, nothing. And I just had this moment of complete clarity that just told me to stay straight, you know, stay in a straight position. Because if I fell backwards, I'd obviously hit my head on something. If I fell forward, I hit my head on something and I would die. And, but it wasn't a scary thing. It was more just like a very clear message, you know, and so my wrist hit the cliff, the side of the cliff on the way down. I had a compound fracture, bone sticking out. I broke my back. I had to be hauled up the mountain by, you know, hundreds of people. And, uh, but that moment, that moment of clarity when I first fell, again, I wouldn't recommend it, but, right. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where I just really felt kind of embraced and held and uh, completely, 100% fully present. <laughs> wow, yeah, fully present. How amazing. So that voice, the clear message that you heard, what do you call it? Um, intuition, the higher self, there's a lot of names. Yeah, I tend to think of 
I don't really have a distinction between the way God speaks to us. I feel like sometimes he speaks to us and he or she or the energy that is God, all the holy names of God, I don't want to use a pronoun, um, speak to us uh, in ways that uh, a lot of times we don't pay attention, but they could speak to us through this thunderstorm. They could speak to us through a wasp. They could speak to us through a voice, through music. Uh, through the touch of a loved one, through a really painful experience, through uh, any of those methods. And so I really feel like that was the voice of of God. And uh, it's not in a way that that was any different, though, than the voice of God that comes to me through this thunderstorm or through you know, a, a sitting on a wasp, which was another one of the poems. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so, so it's, it's not a, um, I guess the word I'm looking for is it's not special when that happens. That's what I was paying attention. Right, right. Yeah, I think I heard something before. Somebody said, what is not God? Everything is God. And at the same time, it's not. <laughs> so it's that paradox again. So let's hear the student of a groundless fall. Student of a groundless fall. People who teach people to jump out of perfectly good airplanes, say the only part that still scares them is the landing, where fall meets firmness. Not that adventurous, I book the standard flight to enlightenment. Sit, spine straightened skyward, gravity pinning pelvis to ground. I clear departure. Achieve proper altitude above the usual catastrophes. Notice, here and now have an edge. Slightest sensation, most intimate thought. This single breath, free falling awake forever. I love that. Most intimate thought, free falling awake forever. I love the way you write, Matt. Yeah, it really captures the essence of what we cannot talk about. <laughs> I mean, we can, but it's not it still. So we can only feel and, yeah. So you also have the, the poem Connected. That's a beautiful poem. I caught my attention, this one. Uh, the breaking news poem caught my attention too. <laughs> wow, interesting, that one. Do you want to talk about for a moment? <laughs> yeah, that one is different, certainly, than the other two. It's much more uh, kind of edgy. And basically what it was inspired by is, uh, you know, if you click on your phone, the news icon, or you pull up the news on the evening news, um, it always has these words, breaking news. You know, before, breaking news means to mean something important. Now it's just every day there's breaking news. And ultimately... It's, it's kind of this culture of catching your attention such that I don't think it's catching your attention in a way to report the actual news, but it's more in a way to, to kind of get you into the advertising that takes place or what they think you need to know or what they think you need to think. And so that's what this poem is about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't watch TV, but when I do, I see that. So that's the reason I choose not to. I don't watch the news either. Yeah, I read it on my phone occasionally. 
Right, occasionally. Good for you. Yeah, that's what I do too. The way you said is very clearly part of your poem says, we call it news and it's really just advertising, selling the opinions of the highest payer. And then uh, the poem also, on the day of departure. This is an interesting poem. I wrote here a part that um, caught my attention. You say, I ask to feel what God feels in relation to each individual for eternity. Talk to me about the inspiration for this poem on the day of departure. Yeah, so this was written uh, when my oldest first went to college. Um, you know, so we had 18 years of raising him and, and being with him, and then suddenly he's leaving, and there's that day. Um, and it was just all the feelings that welled up around that and trying to then understand it, understand what it had to teach me about life. You have another one related to being a father, a parent, on being a parent uh, is the name of the poem. So what does it mean to be a parent, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask that way the question. <laughs> yeah. Boy, who knew that would be the hardest question you were going to ask? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think ultimately the point of that poem and I think probably the answer to your question, uh, for me at least, is that what it means to be a parent is to be present, is to be there. And that is not easy because there's so many things that pull me away from being there. And it is the hardest job I've ever had is to, to be a parent. Um, and it brings up every one of my uh weaknesses as well as every one of my strengths and uh, it is uh, a constant lesson in humility yeah another poem that caught my attention it's called the sleep a walking poem i'd love to hear this one too sure sure yeah so that was written when i was on the uh, i was on a porch overlooking a beautiful mountain stream in gatlinburg tennessee it's one of these you know, 12 foot wide streams that's just constantly flowing, beautiful, clear mountain water, cold. And I was sitting there with my wife. We had gotten away, uh, just the two of us. And I was just kind of sitting there in reverie about how wonderful this moment was. And then also thinking to myself how bad it would be if I were to, to just lose the ability to be aware of how lovely this moment was, was kind of just sleepwalk through life, you know? So that this was written about. I'd be happy to read it. Yes, please, yes, yeah. Sleepwalking. If I ever get bored with the river rapids roar, promise you'll give me a nudge. If I ever seem rushed in our morning first touch, hold me in a little longer hug. When I start to forget, the gift of every breath. Promise you'll be there to wake me. I love this one too. This is profound. Yeah. And another one that I really love is the deeper poem. Wow. I mean, it's a very short one. Yeah. So this was actually kind of a, a, an experience where I was in a situation in which I was kind of having an experience, asking for an experience of, of what it would like to, what it would be like to actually um, see God, 
Right. <laughs> wow. And so I had this this experience where I could see this continuous emanating of the universe, kind of like one of those pictures you see in these movies, you know, but there was this presence that was exhaling the entirety of everything that is in existence. And it was an eternal exhalation of everything in existence. And I was really, really scared. And I thought to myself, what am I doing here? And I was kind of losing it, really. I was kind of like, I might, this might just literally drive me crazy. And suddenly uh, the voice of one of my teachers came through in my head. <laughs> and it said, uh, no matter how deep you go, there's only, there's always deeper. And it just kind of stabilized me in that moment because I felt like regardless of the depth of my fear, regardless of the depth of my wonder, um, there was always a deeper level of that in existence. And so my experience of it was important, but it was framed and supported by the depth of experience of whatever that might have been that literally is infinite. And so to me, that was so soothing. And it, it really brought me to thinking about and to realizing that at those times when I've been really sad in my life or really happy in my life or whatever it is in between, uh, that there's a depth of that that is unfathomable. And I fit in there somewhere, but I'm not like the deepest of the deep and I'm not like the most superficial of the superficial. I'm there and it's going to be okay. You know, it, it's, there's, I'm, I'm not alone. Um, and so that really um, is the message of that very short poem. <laughs> yeah. I'd, be happy, I'd be happy to read it. It's kind of not a very long one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love this idea of getting deeper into anything, feelings, anything that we are experiencing, just trying to, to me, getting deeper is actually to seeing closer and closer and closer. And the closer we get, the more we kind of fall into this magical field, as you call it. Well, and the, the another lesson, you know, that uh, one of my teachers said is that uh, there is no such thing as uh, repetition or redundancy on the path to awakening, you keep going back and you keep going deeper. And that just makes sense to me because, you know, that what works works and what gets us there gets us there. And there's always yeah, deeper. That's true. And then the, another poem is the, This Precious Life. That's another one that I really like. And there's the last one I have here is called Jealousy. So that caught my attention for some reason. And I think because you talk about nature and how nature doesn't envy, there's no fight to struggle in nature. And that made me think about us human beings, that we are nature itself and we have this, uh, we're so complex. <laughs> um, so yeah, talk to me about jealousy. Yeah, so I find that I struggle a good bit with jealousy and, uh, and thinking of, when I'm, especially when I'm out of balance, when I'm you know, kind of stuck, uh, I'll think, oh, they just have it so much easier than I do, or they're doing something so much better than I am. And so that's what this poem was about, was trying to understand the way the natural world works, because as a human being, I'm a part of the natural world. And so 
can I align myself with the natural world in such a way that it allows me to understand where my jealousy is coming from and to um, then release it ultimately. Yeah, I love that word, release, as if we, we have been holding on to something that doesn't belong there. It's not natural, right, to the flow of life. I really enjoy the, also the, the more aware I become, the dance of life. You know, I don't push anything away. So when it comes, whatever feelings, not feelings, feelings are natural, but the emotions, uh, which the interpretation of feelings, then I just let them be too. Well, that's a, that's a lovely practice. It really is. And that's the practice of understanding. It's the practice of going deeper and, and being with what comes up. And, and it's not easy. Uh, it takes, takes time. It takes practice. And, and, uh, but that's, that's a lovely way of putting it. Right. And then going back to the idea of healing and killing, then sometimes yeah, you're just expressing your most um, the truest emotions in you, but then you might kill your relationship <laughs> because of it. But that is also part of the healing process. Yeah, yeah. It's a mystery. Oh, yes. A beautiful mystery from my perspective. <laughs> so we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. Would you like to add anything, Matt, or read any other poem in your book? No, that, that's okay. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's. I guess the only thing to add is it's release date on Amazon. I believe is September first, uh, twenty twenty. So that'll. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's important to mention, right? So September first, the book will be released, and it will be on Amazon and the other stores. Uh, so three more questions for you. Oh, perhaps four. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? Success, for me at least, is uh, being able to be authentic, to be true to your true self, to be authentically you. That, I think, is success. Yeah, I love that answer. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting pause. <laughs> yeah. I guess that the, you know, the, there are some times I do things that... Uh, I kind of feel like, gosh, you know, why did I do that? <laughs> so, so to the extent that I can, it's okay for me to, to get angry at myself and to uh, learn and to grow and to, you know, do things uh, differently uh, than my, my mistakes, then yes, it's just that unconditional word, I guess, to, to a certain extent. Yes, I love myself no matter what. Uh, yes, and I also realize that sometimes I make mistakes and that um, that it's, there's room for me to grow. There's, it's okay for me to um, kind of to, to allow myself the space to grow because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to, you know, the, from an unconditional standpoint, um, I guess I don't want to encourage like a self-nihilism where I say that, well, whatever I do, it doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of like that. Predestination idea instead of destiny that we get to choose, you know, our destiny. And so, uh, to me, I think that's uh, that's a different uh, type of thing. So, so there's a nuance there somewhere. <laughs> yes, right. So that's interesting. I get that um, sometimes, not all the time, about unconditional. 
oh yeah, now we have to set some boundaries and conditions to everything. So I don't know, but ultimately life is um, the foundation from what I understand is unconditional love. What is another word for healing, Matt? That's a tough one because healing for me is such a loaded word. You know, it's such a, I think about, I think a good bit about what the definition of healing is. And so I guess I would start with that. And uh, during my integrated medicine fellowship, I read a book by a guy named Stephen Levine, who worked with uh, as a hospice provider. And he wanted to find out what it was like to have just one year to live. And so he wrote a book called A Year to Live. Every day he lived as though he was going to die on that day, a year from that day that that he started. And then in the book, he, in reflecting on the experience, he said, if there's a single definition of healing, it is to look with mercy and awareness at those pains, both mental and physical, that we have dismissed in judgment and dismay. And so that when I read that, it was another one of those profound lessons for me that healing is really difficult work. So I guess the, the opposite, or the, the, is there another word for healing? For that that definition of healing, um, another word for it. Um, I, I can't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, mm. I'd have to create one. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. <laughs> Creation. Yeah. Something like uh, you know, uh, merciful awareness as with a hyphen. Maybe that that's uh, maybe that's it. But. Um, Healing to me is is so it's it really is literally part of my intention. Part of my intention in life is to be a healing presence, to touch the hurting places with love until only love remains. And that healing, the word healing, I guess, in that context is, uh, I guess, the closest thing I can think of maybe is compassionate. So, yeah, tough question. You got, you got some tough questions, but like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm interested in these things. I don't know why exactly, and that's the mystery. <laughs> you might have, to, might have to write a poem about that one. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I'd love to send it to me, please, send my way. Um, and speaking of that, this is one of my questions, actually, ending questions. I have two questions for you, and in, in one of which is about dying. So you just spoke about. So the question is, if you knew you would die soon, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Yeah, no, I pretty much try to wake up every day. And when my feet hit the floor, I say a little thank you type of prayer. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my life. And, you know, help me to live it to the fullest and experience it. And no one knows the, the hour of their death. And, and certainly as an oncologist, I see um, people die quite a bit. And I've held the hand of people dying and sat with them and their family and breathed the same air and watched the process. And so um, I try to live, literally live every day as though it's my last. And so uh, that's like one of those um, one of those little sayings that's out there is that uh, that it gets gets me a little bit is that the saying oh the bucket list you know we're gonna we're gonna 
fulfill our bucket list before we die, you know? And so my bucket list is not to have a bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. Wow. You know? Yeah. And so, so, uh, I mean, are there things I would like to do and like to see? Yes. But I think that's another lesson for me that the pandemic has taught is that when we're all forced to stay at home and be where we are, you know, it's, it's actually okay to, to do that, to go deeper right where you are. The depth of right where we are is infinite. Infinite. <laughs> so right. do I need to go to, you know, international places in order to experience that? Right. So. I love your wisdom, Matt. Profound wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I do have a question. Another question came to mind about regrets. Do you have any regrets or do you believe in that state of mind of having regrets? Yeah, I believe. I believe in that state of mind. And I do have regrets in life where I feel like I've acted in ways that have hurt others or were not uh, things that I could have done things more more practically, uh, more effectively. And so those to me are kind of like that poem, Destiny, those are where the roots of forgiveness, they're, they're areas that I tripped and fell and, and that's okay. And, and that's part of being alive. And so, um, you know, I'm not uh, quite at the, um, I can't remember who sang it, whether it was Elvis or Frank Sinatra, you know, the regrets I've had a few. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, right? <laughs> you to mention, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I do have things in life that I wish, you know, that I, that I could have done more skillfully. Uh, and literally, if I look at it, quite honestly, there are probably things every day that I could do more skillfully. And so, um, so I give myself the space to, to make mistakes and where I feel like I've hurt somebody or, participated in some way in something that was not beneficial. I try to make it right and and do the best I can and then uh, let it go. And that's where that self-forgiveness, that self-selective remembering, that that taught me something about myself, it taught me something about the fact that I'm not isolated in my actions. Uh, My actions spring up as a result of what I've learned and my, um, not just who I am, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but who I am as a part of a culture who I am as a part of this natural world we live in. And when you look at it from that perspective, again, uh, it, I'm not alone in, in making mistakes and having things come through me that I would otherwise have done differently. Right. Beautifully said. Yeah. Again, <laughs> yes. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I think life is... Uh, both beautiful and ugly at times. And they're both, they're different sides of the same coin, you know, Um, and we can't have one without the other. And um, life is also something of which uh, I have no control over ultimately. And at the same time, I have the ability to exercise my free will. So it's another one of those non-dual type of things that then I think the final thing is a little more esoteric, and that is um, that everything's going to be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's not the end. Right? Not really. <laughs> the, I actually heard that from a Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr, who actually founded the Living School, and I just love that. It resonates so deeply with me. 
Yeah, I love that too. Um, wow. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your presence, for the healing work you do at so many levels, and your wisdom. I love your wisdom. Thank you, Matt. Well, thank you for having me here, Valeria. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, so probably the easiest place is drmattmumber.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Matt Mumber, please visit his website, drmattmumber.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.